Welcome to the fourth episode of VSTML 2022 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always is the Canadian who we would never describe as worthless or pathetic, Logan Saunders. Good evening. Good evening. Have you encountered any animals this week? Um, yes, yes, we did encounter... There were two flies that flew right onto my pad tie, but then their wings started stopped working. So they just rolled around in my pad thai for a solid 30 seconds or so. So it's less pad thai, more pad fly. More pad fly, yes. <laughs> and we were at 7-Eleven earlier, and a dog crossed the street and just casually tried to enter 7-Eleven. Multiple people had to try and shoo the stray dog away. Oh, wow. That's fun. <laughs> I love how every week we discover some sort of animal story from your life, and every week they get slightly more desperate. Yes. In six weeks when we record the reunion, it's going to be just like, yeah, I saw a dog once. (laughs) And yeah, we're still in the same hotel, so we still have to deal with the same cat trying to follow us into the elevator or walk up the stairs with us. So that's always been a fun game to play each day. How to how to outwit the 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 cat? It doesn't seem confused when it ends up on a different floor. It finds its way. Has anything changed with uh, the regulations in Thailand? Are you still having to wear masks outside and everything now? Yeah, masks outside. More Russians have been fleeing their quarantine after testing positive for COVID. So police are doing a wonderful job of tracking down all of these stray Russians uh, running about Thailand. So that's always a fun story to read in the news every day. <laughs> I know I've mentioned to you briefly that um, that I've been going through the archives and sort of sprucing everything up and sorting the banners out and everything. And I'd forgotten until we got to the Greece recaps of, of Belgium that we were making jokes about coronavirus a lot at the start of Belgium. Like, I put into the description before returning to Kinepolis for the, to join the press call for the, uh, for the finale. And every single week I changed that joke to be something to do with coronavirus for the entire season. And it really made me laugh. And I probably shouldn't laugh at my own jokes, but it really made me laugh. Nothing's funnier than coronavirus. Highbrow comedy right there. And talking of Demol Belgium Greece, I have to start with something we haven't really had since then, which is somebody pulling us up on things. Because if you think back to the wonderful time that we had during Demol Belgium Greece, which was hilarious for me every single week to look at the complaints of people writing in, usually on Twitter, going, no, you're wrong about this. You've misunderstood it. The best one of which was, of course, the, uh, the MH17 Willie Summers lyric incident. But Julian did tweet us during the week to say that we are wrong. He hated to say it, but I love it when, when we're wrong because, you know, it gives us content. So Hill did hide some money from the rest of the group in the laser game. There was at least 200 euros in his box, and he attached a screenshot to prove it. So we were wrong on that. Why would he do that? Exactly. And it actually feeds into this episode, because we do end up with Kim hiding money as well. And I'm wondering whether, when Sahil gets executed, because he's not the mole, when he gets executed, whether he'll then turn around to the group and go, oh, by the way, here's another 100 euros that I was hiding from you. <laughs> This will pay for my cab ride home. How are you going to take a cab from Albania to Amsterdam? It's a bit of a flaw of Vidim generally. I know we're massively skipping ahead here, but it's a bit of a flaw for Vidim generally to allow people to be able to hide money like that, if you ask me. It's very bizarre, as they like to say, to, to have that be an actual tactic for regular players and now just uh, just keeping money for themselves, thinking, well, i got to put away for my kids' college tuition if I ever decide to have children. I mean, hiding money was a main component of one of the previous seasons, because in Hong Kong and Philippines, the whole twist of the season was that there was a box in the reception of the hotels that they were staying in, where once a season, people could put any money they had from the pot into this box, and it would get posted to the final challenge of the season. And they had to write on the envelope as to who they thought the mole was and if that person was still in the game then the uh, the money would be multiplied that's a very creative twist it's very creative it was also incredibly convoluted because there was some sort of mathematical formula to decide how much extra money they would get but yeah ever since then there has kind of been a culture of people holding on to money a little bit 
just to give themselves an advantage so the mole doesn't have it. And I don't necessarily like it. Because it's like the players are sabotaging the pot rather than the mole sabotaging the pot. Exactly, and purely selfishly, for me, it makes it an absolute bitch to try and uh, to try and track the money on this season. Because I've actually had to add a note to the end of this uh, this episode going, they got 5,900 of a possible 31,800 for the season so far, plus 250 euros that Kim's been hoarding. It's like, what's the point of having a penny macer then? Exactly. And I don't want to come across as being the usual, oh, Belty's uh, so much better curmudgeon, even though I am. I don't want to come across like that. But it's nice to have it plainly spoken, how much money is in the pot, how much money each challenge is worth, how they win the money in that challenge, no alarms and no surprises. If they did this on the American version of the mall, you'd have way more complaints and no one would be able to follow it. Yeah, it just makes it another level more difficult for the viewers and another level more difficult for us having to not just watch it, but watch it in a language that we don't necessarily speak, despite Marika's best efforts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love joking with Dutch people that the only Dutch words I know are things like yoker, vrijstelling, pennymeister. A flavoring. A flavoring. Zwarte vrijstelling. <laughs> Bizarre. Zweichen. That sort of stuff. <laughs> Klopt. <laughs> So previously, the final nine threw away their shot at a beach catapult challenge before the traditional laser game saw numbers that didn't add up and a suspicious lack of lives. At the exemption route challenge, Treasurer Healer was given the opportunity to buy herself a black exemption while the others played for green ones. She did, and she managed to avoid one of the four exemptions won, as well as two of Thomas's three yokers, before Velmude was the one sent home. And we pick up this episode with Velmude's eulogy. Thomas says he misses her, but he has other concerns after what he did to Averon. He betrayed him at the last challenge and now has to face the music. And they are in separate cars and trying to shore up their alliances. It's like a romantic comedy where after a couple breaks up and then they're both separated with their friends thinking, oh, I really feel bad about how it ended with my friend or with my, you know, with my spouse or my girlfriend or my boyfriend. I wish we could really get back together. And then just goes on for the next 20 minutes and then the climax, they get back together again. That's what it felt like watching this scene. I said this last week, I don't understand what was going through Thomas's head, because Thomas is not the mole. Let's be perfectly honest, I don't think either of us suspects him. So he was purely playing selfishly, but he was playing stupidly selfishly. He absolutely walked into the bear trap of that challenge. Yeah, now he's got the thundercloud known as Everon over his head. But they just talked a lot about their, about their emotions, saying, oh, I felt too emotional during execution, but now I feel nothing towards Everon. And then they get out of the vans and they're talking it out, but they still don't trust each other. I'm thinking this is this is a bit dramatic for Vidim. It's the Vidim equivalent of Summer Lovin' from Greece. <laughs> they're both just shoring up their support and trying to tell their own story. And meanwhile, the other six are just like, tell me more, tell me more. You know how it is, just rocking and rolling. So they do clear the air in the evening but neither of them really trust each other anymore. The damage has been done. Relationship is over. They both need to move on. They got greater things ahead of them in life. Granted, Thomas is halfway through his. Thomas is now the... by far the oldest person left in the season, I think. By far the oldest. He is by far the oldest person in the cast. He is by far older than Rick. Yeah, Thomas is 53. He's the same age as Arno. They're the same age? Oh yeah, and his cast photo still absolutely terrifies me. It's the sort of thing you put over a, over a fireplace to stop kids playing in it. <laughs> I'm such a prick. Uh, <laughs> it's true though. It's a terrifying picture. Uh, so Rick then tells us that they've travelled from Skoda to Vlora and the phone is now in Frasier's possession. Not Letitia's as we would have expected. They will be visiting Birat, the City of a Thousand Windows, and Fear, where they will have to understand each other to actually earn money this episode. I was really hoping I misread and thought it was the Dutch way to say Borat, because the episode would have been very nice. And I haven't really commented on the family photos much this season so far, but why is Sahil dressed like a Walmart greeter in his? <laughs> 
he seems to have a unique line in in waistcoats, and he's dressed like a Walmart greeter this week. Maybe, maybe there's something going going wrong with the whole media career in in the Netherlands. He's looking to manage a Walmart. He can hang out with Chuck and Winona for an amazing race. It is day seven in Azotiku. Rick meets them in an industrial area, and I have looked up this place. It is the middle of nowhere. Genuinely, you can't even tag it on on Instagram. Really? Hmm. What about Azutigo? Uh, no, that's under the bridge. There's a river nearby. That's just the uh, the under the bridge bit. Have to add it onto Google Maps. But yeah, there is exactly one photo on Instagram that has been hashtagged Azutiku, and there is no location for it. To actually find out where it is, I had to Google it properly. And I know before anyone says it, oh, why do you look locations up on Instagram? It's because I am in charge of the Instagram posts that we put up, and I tend to tag them at places that the photos are actually taken. I looked for Azotiku, and I couldn't find it. I guess it's just not an Instagrammable spot. No, it's not a major Albanian landmark to go and look at a decommissioned nuclear site, I don't think. That's what I was thinking. I'm surprised they haven't really gone all in on the whole Soviet history yet. So Sahil says he's glad they're not meeting the public or going swimming today. They will be pairing up and going into a silo altogether. They have to remember a list of words and can only speak between two alarms that go off. Sahil and Kim immediately pair up as they've not been together, as do Arno and Leticia. Frazier wants to be with someone that she trusts, so not Healer, and she picks Averon, leaving Healer and Thomas to pair up. Now, last week we had quite a long discussion about how opaque some of Vidim's tasks are. This task was horseshit. To quote Borat, this task is well explained not. Yeah, because not only are we left in the dark, but so are the contestants. And occasionally it's okay to to leave people in the dark and have a big twist. However, not repeatedly. It is an absolute problem on Vidim now that they keep doing these challenges, not explaining to us what the challenge is, not explaining to the uh, to the contestants what they actually have to do. It's like CNN, CNN came up with this challenge. I'm going to make it impossible for them to win this challenge by just having a random number in each list that they won't even have a chance to say in this really echoey room. They have to figure it out for themselves. That's how to earn the money. We're going to make it impossible. It's the Vedum equivalent of smashing the hourglass in Survivor 41. And I don't understand how more people in this cast did not turn around to the producers and go, this is bullshit, you can't keep doing this to us. You can't just dupe us for the sake of duping us, because it's not fair to us when we're trying to win. It's all well and good if they hadn't remembered things. It's all well and good if they were given the equivalent of 10 euros per correct word that they'd remembered. But it is not on that they hide things in these challenges and go, oh, how didn't you see that? And it makes me think back to Renaissance with the stupid briefcase switching game. That was nonsense. And I said it was nonsense at the time, and they have not learned the lessons. I remember that was one of the worst challenges ever. (laughs) I'm still annoyed about it a year and a half later. (laughs) Because it is absolutely horseshit to even think that anyone was going to notice. It would be like if at the end of the challenge Rick said, Okay, okay, now we're going to test you guys. Do you guys remember the third letter from each word that you said over the past 10 minutes? If you do so, you win 20,000 euros. If not, we take 2,000 euros from the pot. And we make you feel like dumbasses in the process. And it hits on another absolute harmstone bugbear, which is weird numbers in challenges. Because going back to Renaissance again, as, as okay a season as Renaissance was... The challenge that I probably ranted about most was the transport all these stones and swap them for ones that are worth particular money and meet up at the uh, the right point to multiply it by 1.75 or whatever it was. But the reason that I hate that challenge so much is because the maximum amount of money they could have won was €2,222.50. You don't have those notes in place. What is the point of having the maximum of a challenge be something that you physically cannot actually achieve. And knowing, as we probably do, that the mole would not have got their number right in this challenge, it would have ended with an uneven number. So therefore, the absolute maximum they could have won in this challenge 
was a number that they could not have fulfilled and ended up having to round up regardless. What made the challenge even more difficult is they picked numbers that are not very memorable. They tried to pick the most obscure numbers possible in terms of it being not, like say, instead of 140, they chose 134. They tried to pick the numbers that wouldn't, that just aren't repeating digits, aren't rounded to nearest five or zero. They tried to pick numbers that would just be, that, that aren't very commonly said out loud, which made an impossible challenge even more impossibler. Yeah, to quote the great Nick Gates from Bother's Bar, no arguments that it's a good cast, but do you really think people shouting words in an echoey room and think, yes, that's a classic challenge that Belgium would be proud to broadcast? Is it an idea that makes you go, this fucking show? I mean, come on. This challenge was awful. Let's be honest. And they had a really tough... To, like, I understand you have to have the difficulty of saying a phrase and it's a really echoey silo, so you have to try and distinguish what the person is saying. But the fact that it's not only that, they're not even told what to really... what what general theme to really aim for, and then they're tested on it well after the fact, and... Most of the people didn't even get to the number in their list, which was even more ridiculous, that people were just trying to go through the list and the numbers were near the bottom. So only only two people, I think, out of eight even had a chance to say their number in 10 minutes. I really don't want to hate this season or annihilate this season or pick apart this season because the cast is so good and they seem to have learned some lessons. But the optimism that I had after the first two episodes is definitely not there anymore because they are falling into familiar patterns. And it is getting infuriating that they have so much potential at the start of the season and know what they're doing and actually make these these twists and ideas work. And then they do things like putting an unappealing location on the screen with an unappealing challenge on the screen with a weird amount of money that can actually be won in the challenge and making it frankly impossible for them to win a decent amount of money. The moles should not be relying on producers doing their moling for them. But hey, we got to hear the phrase etradiscipline callback. We did and it is nice to hear it, especially in an episode that did feature a walkie-talkie challenge and nobody actually messing up the walkie-talkies. Kenis is marked. Kenis is marked indeed. Kenis is marked in the face. Yeah. I know... I am not alone in this feeling, but this episode is just infuriating. It'll probably be the worst. I I hope it's the worst episode of the season. My worry is that they are going to do some sort of stupid elimination twist in the next two weeks, because it's traditionally five or six. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop and for us to lose two important people. For it being a fertilizer factory, there certainly weren't good ideas that fertilized for this episode. No, it was a fertilizer factory because it was full of shit. (laughs) Well, at least the next challenge was better. So they decide it's better to remember fewer words and do it well rather than trying to remember them all. They're all in the same silo. There's 2,000 euros up for grabs and only five minutes total in which they can speak. Any word spoken outside of the tones costs them 100 euros per word, and each person has about 25 words and sentences to relay. Sahil, speaking for the rest of us, thought that this challenge was a bit boring, so just decided to spice it up for his own amusement. Rainbow, purple, Kenneth is smacked in the face, dragon, blue, exemption, a flavoring, Michael Jackson, 72. Interestingly, um, it is established that they couldn't speak between the tones, but both Kim and Sahil do, and neither of them get penalised for it. Yeah, Sahil definitely definitely spoke when the sirens were playing. I'm thinking, oh, they're for sure going to get a penalty, and they didn't. And I'm thinking, did they not get penalized? Because all they did was earn 150 euros for the challenge, and production didn't have the heart to to take that away from them. (laughs) It goes back to what we've been saying in previous weeks about them being very generous this season. That was very generous, and 100% they would have got penalized for those words in any other season. Which brings up another problem. If you have rules in a challenge, you have to enforce them. You can't just say after the fact, oh, this challenge played out way worse than we thought it would. We're going to be a bit more lenient. The rules have to be there for a reason, because now contestants are going to be thinking, 
well, is that rule going to be enforced or is the other rule going to be the one that's enforced? Yeah, in the same way that I have a lot of trouble with Jeff Probst just being an unreliable narrator and producer now, I have a bit of trouble with Vidim producers just being a bit unreliable and inconsistent with so much of these things. You cannot trust a word that they say at some points, and it's infuriating to try and wrap your head around as a viewer, never mind as a player. And I don't know if, I can't remember if Rick was the one who, if this, these words came out of Rick's mouth, or if Frazier was the one who, who was just extrapolating from what Rick said, but she said, Rick found us worthless and pathetic. So really, this whole challenge was just designed to humiliate the contestants, really, and say, oh, you earned so little, you only earned 134 euros, you earned so little that we have to round it up to 150, since it's such a low amount. As I said when I replied to Nick on the Discord, it's less about the people shouting the words in an echoey room that I have a problem with, and more about the fact that they yet again didn't tell people how to win money. It's an unwinnable challenge, and you should never have an unwinnable challenge, because unwinnable challenges just suggest you have no faith in your mole. The mole should always be given the impetus to mess with things and make the team lose money or not win money by any method they can. They shouldn't need to rely on the structure of the challenge to do it for them. Yeah, maybe a simple fix for this challenge without that doesn't make it too easy is, I don't know, maybe in the pairs, one person each pair knows that they have to listen for the number, but they can't tell the, their partner what the criteria is, or they can't directly tell them, just say the number on your paper. They have to find other ways to, to clue in their partner that that's what they need to do. That would have been much better, and they can still keep the whole echoey, uh, the whole e- echoey challenge within it. A better way to do this challenge, if they really are intent on doing it this way, is doing what they did with the second challenge: sequestering six of them, bring them in two at a time to that echoey silo, make them have five minutes each team, because you don't have to show it all on the screen. You can just cut the best bits in. You can cut people saying interesting words in for all I care and have it last exactly the same amount of time on the screen. But it just makes it more... It makes it more fair to everyone if there is a chance for them to get through all the list. Because that is where the challenge falls down, is the fact that nobody could get through their lists on time, because they were all competing for all the time. Or what they could do is tell them, yes, it's numbers that you have to listen for, and let's say maybe they were given three or four minutes, but then there is a recording in the silo that plays of a voice saying the numbers out loud. Maybe the mole pre-records saying the numbers and they distort the voice. And then everyone else is rushing to say the numbers within, say, two or three minutes. And then they have to figure out which numbers are being said. And maybe there's 20 numbers total that add up to 2,000 euros. Yeah, it just doesn't work as a challenge, basically. That's what it boils down to. (laughs) Yeah, in the form that what we saw on TV, that's going to be a challenge you'd quickly brush to the side and say, okay, we had 10 episodes. Not every challenge was well thought out. <laughs> we, 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 we shit the bed on this one. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that definitely should have been workshopped out before the season. Because it's not like they didn't have a bit of time to think about this season. They recorded later than they normally do. They absolutely should have put a stop to this sort of a challenge straight away. So Rick tells them their discipline was admirable, but the words he wanted to hear were the numbers as that is the amount of money they could have won, because he didn't tell them at the start that they could have won up to €2,000. Only we knew that information, yet again. Each of them gets one chance to name the amount that they heard, but barely anyone can remember. Letitia remembers hearing a number, but she can't remember which one. Only Kim remembers hers, which is 134, which Rick then rounds up to €150. Kim is raising money again for the pot. Arno says it's most shocking that the only pair who won money was the pair with the mole, which was, of course, Kim and Sahil. And afterwards, Kim has a bit of a go at Sahil for just shouting words out for funsies. Even when he does well for the team, he is suspicious to the team. Banana, 23, shoulder, wallet. To be fair, if you were faced with such a boring challenge, I think you probably would have been a bit tempted to just go, oh, fuck it, I can't follow it. I'm just going to give my list off and try and win us some money, at least. Waterboating, pink, <laughs> porno. At lunch, Healer despairs that they're all playing a bit too individually. They should be trying to play as a group to flush out the mole. Not that that probably would have helped with any of these Vidim challenges, because production of the mole, basically. 
especially after the previous day, Averon says that he wants to play for himself. Averon then asks Frazier outside if she's played her exemption, and she admits to him that she hasn't. She has also hidden the fact that she has the phone. Which then, because it's the phone, only gets mentioned when it's actually useful, Rick rings her and tells her that they'll be paired up again for the challenge, and given the opportunity to either add or remove advantages from each other. Frazier and Averon, Kim and Hila, Arno and Sahil, and Thomas and Letitia are the pairs, the latter kind of by default. Uh, we got Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid together once more. And they head back to Azotiku for the second challenge. Rick tells half of them that their partners are at the top of one of the towers, and they will be descending by manner of their choice. They can either be on the end of the rope that descends normally, upside down, or not at all. And initially, it's up to Sahil, Letitia, Kim, and Frazier to predict what their partners actually chose. Depending on what they pick, they could earn 250 euros of the pot, two yokers, or absolutely nothing. And the people at the top of the tower have been given the same information as those at the bottom. What would you have picked? I, I, I would want to do that face down just for the experience. When are you going to get a shot to do that again? Yeah, I don't think I would. <laughs> you just casually walk down the steps and be like, eh, ah, meh. Yeah, I, I would have descended probably. I don't think I would have done it upside down. Get to be like Spider-Man. And, or, what was the Sahil? He was wearing a Titanic shirt. Is he just going to wear, is that going to be a hidden clue if he's the mole at the end of the season that he wore a different film each episode that referenced one of the tasks? Yeah, because it was Space Jam last week. Yeah. See, I don't think it looked particularly comfortable going upside down. Everyone especially did not look comfortable. Well, he's a he's a bigger guy. <laughs> that harness is struggling to hold him in. He is, but it was really... He was descending really awkwardly, even for a bigger guy. But he looked very lopsided. I don't think that would have been very comfortable. Especially as you were basically being lowered down Mission Impossible style. It wasn't like it was a bungee jump or whatever, where there was actually some sort of active part of it. It was just, okay, just stay there and be lowered down like your Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. And then once you get down there, just pull out a gun and shoot some bad guys. Yeah, it's basically like he wanted to do a jewel heist. So Hill, you're not supposed to shoot anybody this week. You just shot three uh, a family of three Albanians. The ship is sinking for you, Sahil. You picked the right shirt after all. See, this challenge is lucky in the fact that it came after the first challenge, which was so rubbish, because I think if this had been the first challenge of the episode, I would have still thought that this was a, an absolutely bobbins challenge. It was pretty rubbish to watch. Because nobody really hesitated. When you see a, a challenge like this, or like a bungee jump or something properly active, you want to see someone be a little bit scared and a little bit hesitant. That was only really Arno. Arno and Thomas a little bit, I think. Well, Thomas was like, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to do what I can. Oh yeah, that, that's Sahil. Sahil was worried what Arno was going to do. But otherwise, everyone just said, oh... This is fun. Spider-Man, yeah, Thomas singing, we are the world. That was funny, to be fair. Yeah. Arno was the only one with any intrigue in this challenge. And I I think if this had been in any other episode, we would have kind of let them get away with it because it's, it's kind of just a filler challenge to add more yokers and maybe a bit of money into the pot. But because it came after that first challenge, which was so rubbish, I have to judge this a lot harsher, and I don't think this was a very good challenge either. But it was way, way better than the last one. Because <laughs> they knew they were actually informed how the challenge worked. <laughs> yeah, pretty much any challenge in Venom history is better than that first one was. There's only a few challenges I would probably put below that one. I do like the dilemma, though, where you know most people are going to go upside down. So whoever was assigning the values into each chest, it was really up to them of, hmm... Will my partner want to work with me more if I put yokers in the upside-down box or if I put the 250 euros in the upside-down box? So I like how they had to evaluate which would please their partner more. Yeah, and also if you put the yokers in there, there is a chance that you're going to get one of them. Very good chance, yes. Because then I'd be like, well, I went. I kind of feel like a jerk hanging on to two yokers that you're directly responsible for me possessing. So, yes, I think I kind of have to give the other one because clearly there could be more items up for grabs in the next couple episodes. And 
you do not want to miss out on items when it gets down to six, seven, or five people left. Something interesting I did spot is that I think the guy lowering them down was Dutch. I think they brought their own crew in for this, rather than uh, trust the locals. My guess is there aren't too many companies in Azotiku that lower people from silos on a harness. No, it just made me think of of Belgium, Vietnam, where Papa Bear told us that they didn't trust the local crews, so they brought their own Belgian crew in to do the bungee jump. Yeah, I think you kind of have to do that in situations where you don't know how regulated these businesses are in the country where you're filming. Yeah. So Frazy is first to guess. She has to distribute the two rewards amongst three chests. She puts 250 euros in going down normally and two yokers in the upside down. Everyone says that he hopes. She won't predict he won't go down at all, but he goes down upside down. Awkwardly. He gets his two yokers, but Fraser is annoyed as she wanted money for the team. Kim is second. She thinks Healer will go straight down and puts the yokers in there. Healer goes down head first. She doesn't particularly enjoy it, but 250 euros is in the pot as a result of her doing it. So Healer's third. He knows Arno is afraid of heights, but he thinks that Arno will go down normally. Arno decides to go down head first. Not that he's looking forward to it. If he had a bucket list, he would not have put doing this on it. There's nothing in the upside down box. The yokers are in the go down box and the money in the not go down at all box. Leticia says she wants Thomas to have the yokers, so puts them in the upside down box. The 250 euros goes in the just go down box. And then, yeah, Thomas wins our heart for the episode by going upside down and singing We Are the World because it's a slow song. And we'll distract him from the fact that he's hanging upside down from a decommissioned nuclear site silo. And he does ask before he goes down whether anyone has died from doing it. And he's told, no, not here. He came on Vistamol to be able to do things he'd never do otherwise. This is one of those things. He gets his two yokers and gives one to Leticia. They then swap over. Anna puts the yokers in upside down for Sahil. Everyone knows that Frazier will go down for sure. Healer thinks Kim will go down, but not upside down. And Thomas says it's scarier than you think if you go upside down. Everyone goes upside down and Leticia even, even uses the opportunity to sing us a bit of opera. <laughs> Kim finds 250 euros, Frazier finds two yokers, Leticia finds 250, and Sahil finds two yokers, one of which he gives to Arno. And Rick tells them as a group that they earned 750 euros of 2,000, and eight yokers were brought into the game. However, only Leticia declares her 250, meaning that Kim doesn't. Which adds an asterisk to all of my numbers for the rest of the season. Thank you, Kim Leanne, you arsehole. <laughs> I wonder if that's going to be the episode title. Oh, thank you, Kim Leanne, you arsehole. No, it's not. Bit too aggressive, that. But yeah, seriously, they shouldn't be allowed to hoard money. It gets on my nerves, really messes up the stats, and is just going to generally annoy me until she declares the money. It's really good publicity when D-list Dutch celebrities keep money for themselves they want on a game show. That's the thing. She wouldn't have even been able to cash it out. Unless she is the winner, she can't actually earn that 250 euros by doing anything other than adding it to the pot. Those notes have no monetary value. They're only in-game currency. That's right. Yeah, that is a bit of an odd decision to make overall. And the annoying thing is, if she is the mole, it's not even a good sabotage because she does it in front of the entire group and everyone knows that she's the one with the 250. Yeah, it's not a subtle one at all. It's funny that uh, when Hila wanted the yokers, that Rick has to slam down the yoker chest on her and say no. These are for me. You can't have these. You can't have these, Gila. These are for me. I have these yokers. I bypassed the quiz. These are mine. Live with it. <laughs> yeah, it just it was it was like a it's like a kid just taking the ball and bringing it back with him to his corner. Take his ball and go home. Rick's Rick's house is like the banana horde from Donkey Kong Country. Instead of bananas and his banana horde, it's just a big pile of yokers. So Frazier is very gung-ho about getting everyone to reveal their advantages, or they should take their 250 euros back, and that basically rules her out of Kim's suspicions. And then Rick tells them to enjoy their last night as a final eight, because one of them is leaving tomorrow. Thomas, I think, was kissing the yoker after the challenge. He was doing the, the Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker dance from Rush Hour when he was walking away with his yoker. He, he, was, he was very happy to have one. He was. He already had one left. He still had one from last week, so... Yeah, but now he has another. He has twice as much as what he had before. And then we join them on day eight in Berat. Is nice. They are spreading pairs over four houses. Arno and everyone 
Thompson Healer, Sahil and Frazier, and Leticia and Kim. They then have 15 minutes to describe the interior of each house to each other over walkie-talkie. Then they will switch houses and try and spot the five differences. I don't know if you're aware of this, Michael, but if you have eight people, it's very easy to split into pairs. Have you noticed that this episode? I was picking up on a really subtle hint that they they might have found an easy way to split into pairs. I don't know what it was, though. Do you think any of the contestants worked as an all-pair uh, when they were younger? Maybe that's the hint? I'll have to look into the bios during the week. And did you know that uh, when there's eight people, too, that four, four goes into eight evenly as well? Really? Yeah. I'm learning so much math this week. I haven't worked that out. Yeah, your mind is fucking blown from that. So everyone begins describing the interior of the room using positions on a clock. Kim and Latisse's house being drinking sweets. And Sahil's homeowner is one of my favourite NPCs for a long while as he just decides to be an absolute distraction. He has no care that they are trying to film something. He just wants to show off his family. As somebody who stayed in a small Italian village one t- once upon a time, that is very much a small town European thing to do. Just point out all the pictures of everybody to your family to a complete stranger, who you know you're never, probably never going to see again, and the other person has to politely smile and nod through the whole thing. I really like Sahil and Frazier as a pair, because Frazier is so unbelievably over his nonsense. <laughs> she drags him back in out of the street by his ear at one point in this challenge. She's probably the type of person online who says that Space Jam is an objectively bad movie. Which it is, but, but that opinion just ruins the fun for everybody. Yeah, stop being a spoil sport, Frazier. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I just love that Frazier has zero patience for him in this challenge, and he, and he very much knows and doesn't care. It's just fun. So everyone and Arno are very detailed. Everyone takes five minutes to do just half of their room, much to the fury of Thomas and Healer, who still haven't described anything. And then all hell breaks loose when they try and actually guess the uh, guess the differences. Because Sahil and Frazier are hilarious in this challenge, but they are rubbish at remembering what the uh, differences are. <laughs> It's a. I think Arno. I have an Arno quote here saying, "Oh, this task was too easy." I'm thinking, well, maybe it was easy for you, but that was not the case for all of our duos here. So Hill and Frazier don't study their notes. She thinks that he's mulling, and they just guess they're five. And she actually tells him in the house to practice his explanation because people are going to ask questions. <laughs> They're more focused on covering up why they sucked so badly rather than try to do the challenge properly. It'd be funny, though, like, spot the five differences, and Sahil would say, oh, well, spot the five differences. Okay, well, the old man told me that the difference between his cousin and his uncle is that one works in a factory and the other doesn't. So that's one difference from what he told me. Another difference is uh, one studied abroad in America for a year and the other one studied abroad in Japan. That's another difference. No, about the room, Sahil. Going back to our constant gripe about them being quite generous this season with their judgments, I don't think any of these differences were that hard. They weren't that mean. I think I think everyone in Arno, when they were in their room, they were spawning things immediately, saying, oh, that was, that's a blatant switch. Or the Christmas tree one. That wasn't a very subtle difference to make. No, or changing the cushions on a uh, on a sofa. That was a pretty obvious one. And I know they had limited time because they couldn't really swap a sofa out and things in a narrow Albanian house. But a lot of the differences were very easy to get. This should have been easy money in theory. Or when they took out a table and replaced it with a gigantic plush teddy bear, that was pretty obvious too. Or... Um... When there was a picture of the leader of Albania and they replaced it with a huge mural of Rick. I thought he was the leader of Albania. (laughs) That's what he does during the Vidimov seasons. So Kim and Leticia get three corrects for a total of 300 euros. Fraser and Sahil get one. Everyone and Arno get four. And Thompson either get three. That gives them a total of 1,100 euros of 2,000 for the challenge. 1,750 of 6,000 for the episode. And 5,900 of 31,800 for the season so far plus the 250 euros that we know that Kim is hoarding. 
I'm surprised when everyone was pointing out the differences, they didn't say, yeah, one difference I noticed is that Thomas Tardell is a nice guy, but now he's a lion, now he's a lion jerk ass. Now he's a prick. <laughs> yeah. Clopped. 100 euros. So it's now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole who ever knows least goes home, except for the mole who can never go home. Frazier, Letitia, and Sahil all have exemptions, and Frazier, Thomas, and everyone have two yokers each, and Sahil, Arno, and Letitia have one yoker each. That is a lot of advantages to add on. I know last week we said do not play your advantages, but when you know the black exemption has been used and everyone else has an advantage, you may or may not have to use it earlier than you want to. Yeah, there's three exemptions and nine yokers in play here. Yeah, I was thinking, though, that'd be tough to figure out, though. Do you just you chance it, or do you, do you play it? I mean, in hindsight, from what we'll see in a couple minutes, yeah, I guess you should play it in this situation, but I don't think people realized, oh man, everyone else has an advantage, they'll probably play it, I should play mine too. Yeah, nowadays, the black exemption is very rarely given out sneakily. You get the occasional one like it being hidden in the claw machine in Oregon, where nobody noticed it anyway, but nine times out of ten, you'll always be aware of the potential of a black exemption being in the game. The fact that we know there wasn't a black exemption in the game for this round probably makes it very tempting to use things. It depends how confident you feel in them. Because the exemptions don't have an expiry on them. They have to be used before Final Four, and that's it. And the fact that they have still got so many exemptions in the game suggests to me they're probably not going to do a Josh-style mandatory elimination where they split them up and make them pay a ludicrous amount of money out of the pot to just be safe. So Letitia says she's decided not to play her exemption. She thinks that she will need it more later on. Averon says he's staying on Thomas and going after Kim too. He plays one of his yokers. Kim says she wasn't going to spread an owl before the test, but then started thinking about the hints in the houses. She saw roses in the pictures, and Sahil is from a place called Rosenthal. She's also on Averon, and she plays her crystal. Of course Kim has a crystal that she brings out for the test. Frazier says it's dangerous to play her exemption as she doesn't know she's on the right track. She plays just one yoker. Arno is quite convinced both he and Sahil are not using their yokers. He trusts Sahil because he gave Arno his yoker. Frazier cannot be trusted. Healer is on Frazier, she's fanatic, but never makes much money. She's also betting a bit on Sahil. Sahil isn't playing his exemption, he's going to spread on Thomas, Kim and a little bit on Arno just to be safe. Thomas is still spreading between Arno, Sahil, and Kim. If he bets both Yokers, he has nothing left and will be behind Sahil and Arno, who he knows have Yokers, but he plays both of his Yokers. And then Rick meets them for the execution in the ruins of the Corinthian city Apollonia. He asks if they know who the mole is going into episode 5, but sees a lot of tent eyes before him. Kim, Thomas, Frazier, Sahil, and Letitia all get green screens before People's Champion Arno goes home with a Yoker in his pocket. The Dutch public was as wrong as I was. Yes, they were. Well, I said it in episode one, Arno was never the mole. I knew from watching the live stream that everyone was going to suspect him. It wasn't at all a surprise when it came out that Arno was the most suspected person, because we didn't see that in the live stream. But everyone on the board was going, yeah, it's Arno, he looks like a Disney villain. However, it is a sad loss for the season. Well, we lost one half of, of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I've made my love of Sahil quite well known, and I really enjoy Arno as well. He's He was never the mole. He was never suspicious to me. He was inexplicably quite suspicious to Michelle. He was at the bottom of my list. Arno and Thomas were still, were still bottom two going into this execution. Yeah, he was just a very fun presence, and an absolutely great choice to bring on to this season. I wonder what's going to happen now that Butch Cassidy is gone, because... When, you know, if somebody messes with Butch Cassidy, he'll get a bullet in your head courtesy of his friend Mozart. Yeah. And quite interestingly, from our point of view, when it was just down to three people at the end, it was one person from each of our pool teams left. And, it, uh, and I didn't lose. I didn't lose Arno. No, it was, it was Arno, Averon, and uh, Healer who were left at the end before Arno went home, which is one person from each of our three teams. I was very convinced Frazier was going home this episode because of her sudden boost in airtime. So was I. And then as soon as she was safe, I was thinking, hmm, maybe Letitia then? But then Letitia was safe. It was a huge relief for me when Frazier did not go home. 
So Sahil is completely devastated. He gave Arno his yoke for safekeeping. And now it is out of the game. Arno tells Rick that he went all in and bet wrong. And it looks like the Netherlands didn't win the team 5,000 euros. And I do have to point out, I love it that they are treating the Moles' invitations to the unmasking like it is any sort of cliffhanger, even though now we've seen it four times. It's not a cliffhanger. It's hilarious, but it is not a cliffhanger. The cast is facing a lot of adversity this season. Thomas and everyone hate each other so much that everyone's insisting that they kiss, like Bojack Horseman and Mr. Peanut Butter on Hollywood celebrities and stars. What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. And then the production crew doesn't even tell them how the first challenge works. Kim just keeps money for herself, for whatever reason. And... And now the Dutch public kept 5,000 euros out of the pot. Yeah. They're up up against a lot of different forces. So next time, everyone goes flying with cash, statues get recreated, people disappear, nobody knows how to ride a bike on water, and the mole phone is gone. So in the pool, Michelle, for the first time in over a year, has actually lost someone. She only has Kim and Letitia left. I still have Fraser and Healer, and Logan has Averon, Sahil, and Thomas. In First Suspicions, he was one of two people who nobody suspected as number one. Bindles and Michelle had him at number two. Christopher redeems himself from last week as he had Arno at number 11, even below Susanna. Logan and Femke had him at number 10. Big props to Walter as well, who is so far very impressive on the First Suspicions. All of the top seven were numbers one through seven on his rankings. For a total score of 28, the current highest score is 41, and the lowest out of the three of us is 35. The only reason I mention it is because it's me. Thomas is now more suspicious than Letitia, making the ranking Kim with 2.82 out of 7, Frazier 3.12, Sahil's 3.71, Averon 4.18, Thomas 4.53, Letitia 4.59, and Healer 5.06. All of the women are more suspicious to the three of us than the group as a whole, and all of the men are less suspicious. Kim with 21%, Sahil with 20%, and Frazier with 16%. On the top three of the Netherlands, with Healer on 8%, Thomas on 11%, and Averon and Letitia tied on 12% as the bottom three. Who are your three suspicions? Uh, I'll just quickly run through the order. Number one is Everyone. Number two is Letitia. Number three is Gila. And then number four is Frazier. Then I have a big gap. Then it's Sahil. Kim and Thomas. So that's no change from last week for you, is it? No, pretty much. It's a, it's a lot of tunnel busy going on for me. <laughs> Ironically, mine haven't changed since last week either. My top three are still Leticia, Frazier, and Kim in that order. I thought it was very interesting that they drew attention this week to the fact that Frazier tends to be really gung-ho and then make very little money, which happened a couple of times in this uh, in this episode. I think it's very interesting how we still haven't really seen much in the way of suspicion for Leticia, even though she is very much still suspicious. And with Kim, I just kind of, I need to rationalise her hoarding that 250 euros. I don't understand why she's kept it. I don't understand what the logic is. I don't understand whether she's going to actually give it to to Gila. Maybe she'll give it to the SPCA. Yeah, I just don't understand. It's just such a weird thing. And like, obviously, Sahil may have done the same thing last week, but it was never actually flagged on the show that he did that. It was flagged that it was suspicious that he only came back with a hundred, but it was never flagged that he uh, that he actually may have pocketed another at least a hundred euros. Whereas Kim's definitely was in this episode. So that's why I'm a bit kind of suspicious about her. She's getting a weird edit. Next week is our first week of Two Suspicions, though, as well. I did, I think, say last week that this week was going to be the first week of Two Suspicions, but then I I realised that the maths kind of didn't add up and that we can still have three this week because it's seven people left. Who do you think is going home next week? Uh, I think Frazier is going to go home next week. I think everyone's going to go home next week. No, he's the mole. I think... It's going to be a traditional Logan Saunders mid-season depression streak, and we're going to get everyone going home next week. (laughs) Well, I hope you are wrong. I know you do. Nothing would brighten my 
my Sunday when I'm I'm away next week to uh, nothing would brighten it more than to see our teams be even at the final six. Yeah, maybe if everyone or Thomas gets executed next week, they'll have no choice but to to make out at the end of the execution. They'll be included in their montage. The problem that your team have got is that Thomas and Sahil are way more entertaining than everyone is. So I need I need the entertainment factor to stay. So if someone from your team's going home next week, which please, I hope they do, or, or Michelle's team, I don't really mind which, then it has to be Averon, because the other two would just be disappointing to leave. As always, you can join in the suspect list on uh, Bother's Bar, run by the wonderful Daniel Peake, which I will put in the description. Have you had a chance to um, to practice doing the episode title from a couple of weeks yet? No, give me one more week. One more week. I want to keep working on it. Is this going to be an end-of-season thing where I finally remind you on the reunion and you go, oh yeah, it's actually this? <laughs> that would be a great troll, but no. I need one more week. I will keep it in my notes then. Have you got anything else you want to say? Nope, I think that's it. It's a little after midnight here. I may or may not fall asleep sooner rather than later. In that case, thank you for listening to our VS Mall 2022 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the new small in Albania. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors. Like can emails and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter, Logsubkawaki, and I'm MJ Harmstone. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles, and we'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next of the Avery.